Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. Happy early birthday to you. Oh, thanks. And happy <laughs> late birthday to you. Yay. We're so, what are we, like 10 days apart in birthdays or something? It's really I close. Know. And you're a fellow Cancer, right? Yes, I am. I am a homebody for sure. I am too. I, I have a friend who's really into astrology and she tells me that I am a true cancer. Yeah. I think that means I'm moody and like to stay home a lot. <laughs> well, we both work from home, so I think yeah, we've got good situations. <laughs> yeah. And we both love the water and we both grew up by the water. It's true. And I was just by the water up in Maine on vacation, yeah. which was amazing. How was it? It was beautiful. It was the perfect time to go. I highly recommend going to the coast of Maine in June because it's actually still a little bit chilly. Oh, and that's weird. I know. It actually it, it felt nice. I said to Matt, oh, my gosh, I'm going to enjoy just feeling cold because I'm not going to feel cold outside for a long time. A so I'm just going to enjoy time. it. <laughs> it is like but, 106 degrees here. <laughs> oh, I know. We So we flew out of Florida and then landed in, in Maine, which was a great way to go because we started with the humidity and the heat. But coming back, when I got off the plane in Florida, I was like, oh, my gosh, uh, it is 40 degrees warmer. And the humidity <laughs> just hit like boom. But um but Maine was great. It's a beautiful coastline. If you've never been to Portland, it's a beautiful kind of small city, very friendly, great restaurants right on the water. Highly, highly recommend it to anybody. Oh, I love it. So and great place to spend my 35th birthday. So you've got your birthday coming up. How are you going to celebrate with your when I have a little one, which makes it a little bit difficult, maybe. Yeah, so this year is also a little bit special because, um, so the day before my birthday is our um, fifth anniversary of our first date. So, so sweet. <laughs> yeah, well, when we first started dating, so Pat and I have known each other since middle school, but um, when we started, we kind of went our separate ways and, and then ran into each other um, five years ago, and he wanted to be the first person to tell me happy birthday on my birthday that year, and so, that is we, so um, sweet. he took me to dinner the night before, kind of late, and we got a drink, and um, and yeah, that min- at midnight, he was able to tell me happy birthday, and so uh, I think this year, we're going to, um, I think my mom is going to keep the baby for the night. It'll be the first time that he's been away from us overnight, but I think um, we'll be able to have a little date night and um, celebrate our the last five years of craziness and uh, and my birthday a lot has changed in those <laughs> five lot. years oh yeah oh yeah so I'm pretty excited I always love the fourth of July because 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 of my birthday and my dad when I was little my dad would always tell me that the fourth of July fireworks were my birthday fireworks and Aww, I believed it until cool. I was like six or seven years old <laughs> I don't know it's just a fun a fun holiday and I like the summer and so yeah I'm just always in a good mood this time of year I love that. I think it's fun to have a birthday close to a holiday that doesn't involve gifts. Yes. Yes. I Because agree. it's celebratory and people are getting together, but it doesn't take away from, you know, like the focus can still be on you. Whereas I feel like bad for people who have the birthday right before Christmas or yeah. Thanksgiving. So Sam's birthday is four days before Halloween, which I also think is an awesome time to have a birthday because it's yeah. candy and it's costumes and yep. um and birthday. So yeah, I hadn't thought about the proximity to the fourth. That's really fun. Well, happy early birthday. I hope Thanks. you enjoy your night of freedom. You've definitely earned it. And and <laughs> hey, now you can go out and have a cocktail or have some wine and don't have to worry about that so yeah definitely <laughs> Sounds awesome. last year I was so morning sick last year too Aww. I didn't even want to celebrate my birthday I think we I ordered a pizza with my family and that was about the extent of it I don't even think I could eat it <laughs> so oh yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to this year is a little bit of a do-over but um switching gears a little bit I'm really excited uh we have a few new reviews on the podcast on Apple podcast so and great yeah, I'm so um, like overwhelmed and grateful by some of the kind words that people have had to say about our podcast, and I wanted to read a couple. So this one by True MC. These ladies bring thoughtful insight to serious topics and with a good dose of humility and humor, which I think is awesome that 
people find us funny. Yeah. It's not every day that I get that. <laughs> yeah. I know I find us funny, but it's good to know that's affirmed by others. We laugh a lot at the very least. That's true. Um, and this one that is probably um, some of my fav- favorite feedback that we have ever received um, from Reverend Rob McCoy, who is also the co-producer of the Pulpit Fiction Podcast. He left us a review. And this is the title. I love it. Every dude needs a soul sister. (laughs) So sweet and so true. And what he says is, I downloaded the first episode about the word bossy for my 11-year-old daughter, and it sparked a great conversation. She and I are sure to listen to more episodes together. I'm so glad she will have these two amazing role models of faith and female strength in her life. Is that just the nicest thing that, (laughs) I mean. I got goosebumps a little bit when you were reading it. I know. You know, when we started this, it was really kind of for us more than anything. And we thought, I mean, for for me, I just had a lot of things in my head I wanted to say and get out of my head. Mm -hmm. And, um, And, you know, we thought we couldn't be the only ones thinking these things, so why don't we record it? And it's just really nice to know that um, we might be, I don't know, just providing something, um, a a service for for other people um yeah especially for 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 young young girls young girls I just love it I know it's so great and I mean speaking of role models Reverend Rob McCoy is I think one of the best role models for how to be um a man who really stands in solidarity with women I've known Rob since about 2011 or 12 when he came to an advocacy training that I was doing around global maternal health and family planning. He was one of the mm. few few men who expressed interest in that. And you know, I never want to uh, overly applaud men for being part of movements that I think that they should be part of, but I but I do want to say that Rob is just the model of of being an ally. He really lives into that and has been so generous to be sharing about our podcast on his podcast, which we've talked about the last couple of episodes, the Pulpit Fiction podcast, which again, he um, co-produces where they talk about all the Bible readings for that week. And gosh, it's a podcast I wish that I had had when I was in seminary and I was having to write all of these papers about obscure (laughs) biblical texts and having to go through the dusty stacks of the Divinity School Library and look for these antiquated commentaries about these texts. They really bring the text to life and make it accessible for pastors and Bible geeks and everybody in between. So you should definitely check it out. And as a little sneak peek, Rob is actually starting a podcast with his 11-year-old daughter. I Um, love it. Yeah, they've (laughs) recorded a few. They're not out yet, but it's going to be called E and Me. And I don't know if you remember the the names of the first couple of episodes. Do you remember it off the top of your head? I remember two of the episodes because I really like this. It was a relationships part one, I like you. And then part two is I like, like you. How awesome is that? I know. And I just, I love the idea of a father and daughter having these really honest conversations about topics like that. I mean, it's just, again, what a great role model for, for parents and for young girls um, and boys, too, about what it looks like to have honest conversation about the stuff of life. So we cannot wait for that to be live. We'll be sure to let all of you know when that is out. And maybe we can have them on our show sometime. I would love to interview them together. That would oh, be so that would be fun. so cool. OK, we have to figure out how to make that happen. <laughs> all right. We will make that happen. It's a promise. Uh, and speaking of listening to different things, I have been listening to the Spotify playlist that you made for Kindreds, which Yay. we have not yet launched. Well, we will be launching soon. Um, I got to listen to it um, today, and I was sharing with Ashley earlier that, you know, I don't really listen to anything that isn't kids bop. So it was really nice to listen to <laughs> some contemporary music. And there was one song on there in particular that I had not heard before that I really loved called White Flag by Joseph. And the line that stuck out to me was, I'll sing a marching song and stomp through the halls louder than you, which I don't know. I just need that boost right now for lots of reasons. Um, yeah. Don't so that's all. just a little taste of, of what's to come. And we'll link to that song in the show notes. Um, I actually want to shout out one yeah. of our listeners recommended that song to me, Nan. Oh, awesome. So- Thanks, Nan. I love um, I love your taste in music, and thanks for introducing me to Joseph. I, I'm really excited to be able to share this song with even more people. Love it. The crowdsourcing is great for, for all the things, so we appreciate that. And we will be sending 
the uh, Spotify playlist and a link to all of the songs on YouTube on July 15th through our newsletter list. So if you have not signed up for our newsletter, you should go to kindredspodcast.com slash contact and you can send us an email through the website or you can just send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com and we will add you to our newsletter list. We only let you know when a new episode is released or if there's something fun like a new playlist. So go ahead and sign up. We'll also include it in the show notes for episode 22, which will probably be out sometime in mid-July. Yeah. But if you want it even sooner, you can get access to it today by becoming a patron on our Patreon site. So if you have probably heard our pitch before, but Patreon is a way for you all to support the cost of running this show. Um, so you can go there, patreon.com slash kindreds and sign up to donate like a dollar a month, $5 a month, $7 a month. Um, I believe if you donate $3 or more a month, you will be included on our Facebook group. And that's where we're going to be sharing the Spotify playlist as of this episode, if not before. So you'll get access to it right away. So whatever you're able to give would help us out. And we hope it's like minimal pain to your pocketbook. That was Uh my really stupid segue to what we're talking about today. (laughs) I don't know. I liked it. (laughs) Okay. I hope that someone's like, your sense of humor is terrible on our next (laughs) on our next review (laughs) i like your show but your jokes are bad jokes are bad we'll work on that um well maybe if we get enough patreon supporters we will hire a joke writer i don't know (laughs) the sky's the limit (laughs) um but more seriously we're going to talk today about women and pain which is obviously a pretty serious topic uh and before we kick off into our conversation because we have lots of thoughts about that we want to be real clear about what we're talking about there's so many different kinds of pain that we could be describing or talking about, but we're going to mm-hmm. be focused specifically on physical pain that women experience and how it's either taken seriously or not taken seriously, predominantly by the medical community when we come in for help. So we won't be talking about like self-inflicted pain or emotional pain today. We might talk about that later, but today we're talking about physical pain. So Ashley... Yes. <laughs> Pain. What are your thoughts? <laughs> what do you want to share with the group? Yeah. So I don't want to necessarily make this whole episode about childbirth, but I do think that childbirth and sort of reproductive health is an area where women come into contact with the medical community a lot more or it might be like a woman's first time that was that was sort of what it was for me it was really um my my first like prolonged contact with um health the healthcare field um as as a patient um was during pregnancy and throughout childbirth and postpartum and so um it's fresh on my mind and I think it's worth um I think it's worth exploring a little bit um because you know we're all familiar with the idea that childbirth is painful. So let's I mean I feel like we should talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um I, and I don't know how it was for you but uh but I have a couple of stories I guess without getting into too many details about about um my childbirth experience but I thought this was kind of interesting and worth sharing, but uh, my the hospital where I delivered has a um, a childbirth class. Um, it's like prepared childbirth, whatever. It's a four hour class. You go and you just kind of. What I was expecting was what were what were the stages of labor, how to um, how to cope with the pain, how to, and then what to expect at the hospital, and then you do a hospital tour. And what it kind of turned out to be was. Um, mostly like a rundown of your pain management options. Mm. So it was like, here's what labor is. And the nurse that taught it was very much like, here's what labor is. It hurts really bad. So you can have Demerol or an epidural. And she was very like, the the assumption was that we were all going to get pain management and mm-hmm. um, in the form of medication. Right. And um, at one point she, uh, she asked um, in a little, kind of a derogatory way, like, who in here is, and she actually used air quotes and said, who in here is going to go all natural and, and like quote all natural. And I actually really dislike using the phrase natural, um, to Mm -hmm. describe childbirth that's unmedicated Mm -hmm. because there's sort of that layer of judgment, um, that that's implicit in that, that if you choose to have pain medication that you didn't have a 
you didn't deliver naturally. Um, and so I, I choose to use medicated or unmedicated. Um, it's mm-hmm. much more like neutral. So um, she said, you know, who's going to go all natural? And <laughs> none of the other pregnant women in the class raised their hand. And so I'm kind of like meekly in the back of the class. I, I just sort of raised my hand and she goes, oh, so you're going to go all natural, huh? And I said, um, well, I I think I'd like to at least try. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, well, just so you know, nobody's given out any medals for for a natural childbirth. And I was like, I, that's not even at all what I'm like. It just it was so um, dismissive. And then later on, she told this story about how she had this first time mom who was refusing an epidural. Um, and she kept telling her um this nurse kept telling the mom, you know, you're going to want that epidural when labor really starts, you're going to want that epidural. And, you know, the, the punchline of the story, I guess was, and wouldn't, you know, as soon as that labor started, she was begging for that epidural as if to say, you know, if we thought we could handle the pain, we were just naive or whatever. Right. And, um, I just remember coming away from that experience, like, (laughs) feeling very judged and um, dismissed and kind of mocked, um, which I uh, just feel like is a is a really weird way to treat women who, especially um, women who have never given birth before uh, and don't know about the experience. Like it felt a lot of like a lot of scare tactics and just kind of like I wasn't going to be listened to. And then unfortunately, that's sort of what happened. Throughout my um, throughout my labor, I um, was having contractions, but they were in my back and not in um, like in the front of my abdomen where they had put the uh, computer monitors that that tell them where your contractions um, like when they're happening and the strength of them. And so the nurses weren't really listening to me when I was I was having contractions um, that were really close together and I couldn't talk through them and I could barely breathe through them and I had, didn't have enough time to catch my breath before the next one was starting. Um, but because they weren't being picked up on the computer monitor, um, they were telling me that what I was experiencing was not contractions, but actually cramps. And um, they which were are telling, contractions, which are contractions. <laughs> yeah. So I was um, really struggling through labor uh, to to breathe and to understand what was happening to me because I was really confused. I was like, this is everything that I've read that describes labor. Like, this is, this is right. what it is. These are contractions. And the nurses were telling me, no, they're not. And so they kept telling me, don't you want your epidural now? Don't you want your epidural now? If you can't handle these cramps, you're not going to be able to handle it when um, the real thing starts. So finally, I, um, I asked for the epidural. I said, well, how much longer is it going to be till the real thing starts? I started, I started questioning my own experience and listening uh, to them. You were being they were tell- gaslighted almost. Yeah, they were yeah. telling me I wasn't having contractions. And I said, well, how long is this going to last then? And they said, it could be another 12 hours. Oh, and gosh. I said, well, I can't handle that. So I guess... Let's get the epidural. So they sent in the anesthesiologist to uh, to talk me through the risks of the epidural and get my consent. And as I was talking to her, I started pushing, and the baby was born about fifteen minutes later. <laughs> right. So you had been yeah. in transition, I had, which is yeah. the most intense part. Yeah. And that was why you were thinking, well, I can't do this for twelve more hours because yeah. no person could endure that for twelve hours. I mean, it's a very short but intense part of labor. Yeah. So that's sort of my experience with pain. Um, And I I wonder if any of that, you know, if you experience anything like that or if you have any thoughts about it, Um, because to be honest, I'm still kind of processing it. It was really tough. Like right, right immediately afterward, I just felt kind of let down by the whole um, by the people who were supposed to be listening to me and advocating for me. And I was really grateful to have my mom and my husband there because they were Mm -hmm. able to do that um, and fill that role. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I mean, in both the childbirth class and in your labor and delivery, you experience the same kind of not being taken seriously, Yeah, not being believed, not having your desires honored in terms of what it was that you wanted. And gosh, the last thing that any woman needs in labor is to have someone 
uh, questioning her experience. And I guess it, it makes me really thankful that I had a midwife attended birth in a birth Mm -hmm. center where there, well, I mean, there was no pain medication available there. So uh, that was a decision that I made that I was, I was going to, you know, give birth there. And if everything went smoothly, not have a, um, a medicated birth. And that, that worked out. I knew that there, there was a possibility that something would happen and I would need to be transferred to the hospital and possibly get an epidural there. But that was not my experience. And so I also didn't have as much of the fetal monitoring that you're describing. So there was no, they were just watching me and what my signs were. And I think had you been in that situation, they would have observed you with the breathing and Mm -hmm. with the not being able to talk and would not have questioned that you were having contractions. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting how, you know, we think of medical technology as being really useful, but when it interferes with the person who's actually having the experience like within your own body and that gets questioned because the data doesn't line up. Yeah. That's when it's not helpful. Um, Yeah. This actually reminds me of the episode I did with Rachel Stone, where we talked a lot about childbirth and women not being believed about what's going on within their own Mm -hmm. body. So I did not have that experience, but I did, I did feel like my childbirth preparation was almost the opposite of what you're describing where you know, the, the focus was all about like why, why interventions are, are bad. And, um, you know, if you get an epidural, like this thing could happen, or if you have a cesarean section, like you might not be able to breastfeed as well. So there was a lot of, I guess on both sides, there's just a lot of scare tactics instead of just treating pregnant people like you're an intelligent human being and here are all of your options and maybe think of what you would prefer and then be ready for things to change. And not use fear as the motivator. Like, mm-hmm. just allow people to make informed decisions about what they want and try to – the medical community ought to be trying to cater as best they can to the wishes of women. Because in labor, the more comfortable a woman feels, the in general, the smoother the labor goes. Because the body yeah. – the uterus is connected to the brain. And if, 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 if during labor you start to feel – not safe, the body recognizes that and can slow and stall labor. Um, So I just, it really bothers me that there would be any discussion about, like just a fear-based discussion before, because I think there's already enough trepidation about an experience like that they've never been through. Mm -hmm. The last thing anyone needs is is kind of more fear or shame or stigma about the experience. So um, I guess childbirth is unique in that there's an there's just an expectation that it will be painful and it's an anticipated medical event because mostly when we're experiencing pain, it's kind of out of the ordinary yep, or right. Mm-hmm. Like I fell and broke my ankle or um, I'm having this unusual pain and I don't know where it's coming from. And I think that's what makes pain so interesting is that it is a really personal thing and it's relative. And we were talking before about how when they say like on a scale of one to 10, where one is like a minor thing and 10 is childbirth, like how, (laughs) how painful is it? So childbirth is just the given like extreme of pain. The nurse in my childbirth class really um, had me terrified. I left that class like I just... Am I completely underestimating what this is going to be like and my my capabilities of getting through it without uh, medication? And am I just – am I a fool? I mean, that was really like sort of how I um, came away from, from that. And um, because people do talk about childbirth, like it is the worst pain you could ever experience in your whole life. And while it is the most painful thing I've ever been through, I, I bet there's worse. <laughs> For right. me, I well, think it could be worse. Like, I've I'm heard like I've heard kidney fate, stones but. are worse. I've heard kidney stones are worse. Like, there's yeah. other things because if you think about, I mean, childbirth is you know is productive pain. There is mm-hmm. a goal. The body yeah. is is accomplishing something, birthing a human, and so there are some hormonal things going on that can be helpful in the process versus. I have something, I have appendicitis that need, I need my appendix removed. Like my body Mm -hmm. is sending every signal that something is terribly wrong and I need help. Those are not the same kinds of pain. They Mm -hmm. might be experienced similarly, but the body is kind of trying to work with you through childbirth to have a good outcome. Yeah. So it's, it's a unique in that way, I think, versus other things. But, um, 
Yeah. So I, before childbirth, I mean, the, the times I can I think about pain are when I was playing sports and would get injured. So I definitely I sprained my ankle. I got several concussions while playing soccer. Maybe that was a sign I shouldn't have been playing. Mm. <laughs> it was a lot of collisions. Several concussions. <laughs> yeah. Which, oh. Yeah, I got I got a few of those, but there and not the concussion so much, but more minor things like really bad sprained ankle. Mm-hmm. There was there really was an emphasis on just kind of like playing through the pain. And yeah. um, I remember specifically with an ankle, I I had sprained so badly that the doctor was basically like, well, you can't make it worse. So then I could just play through it because I couldn't injure it anymore. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Not thinking like, well, maybe I will compensate and injure my other ankle. I mean, there was right. It, it, it's looking back, it was so stupid. I mean, we were a terrible, we were a terrible middle school team in a tiny school. Like, why? <laughs> why was that? Why was playing through the pain? It's not like I was in the World Cup or something. You know, this was like seventh grade basketball. <laughs> but there was this emphasis on just kind of like playing through the pain, ignoring the pain, uh, mind over matter, and um, I don't think that that was a useful thing at all it's I was so little too I think I was like 12 or 13 years old and yeah can you imagine like putting that kind of pressure on Sam to, no. to play through a serious injury <laughs> or, but yeah. it's so common no yeah I mean it is and, and and I think in the moment there is an adrenaline kind of like with childbirth go back to that but there's an adrenaline that happens yeah. that can kind of help get through something um but then the aftermath can be so much worse you ignore yeah. your body's signal of telling you something is not right. Please stop. Please, please don't stop. Go finish this game or or please yeah, take care of take care of me. Yeah, I did not play sports growing up. So I don't really have a lot of experience with that, but I definitely got the message growing up that like having a high pain tolerance was like sort of a, uh, a badge of honor, like something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. And I don't, especially among the women in my family, I don't really know. Looking back, I don't really know where that comes from, but I suspect it has something to do with the uh, women in my family, our tendency to not want to cause a scene and mm-hmm. not want to be seen as dramatic or high maintenance. Um, and so it kind of comes out of an of wanting to be polite and keep the peace, you know? And so, uh, like there's a story of my aunt. Um, this just, this just came to me. She was a little girl and they were on a car trip and my grandpa looks in the rearview mirror and he looks back and he sees her. She's got tears just rolling down her face and he says, what's wrong? And she had rolled her hair up in the car window and oh, had no. just ridden like that. And never, oh. and for hours, and not said anything, and it was pulling her hair. <laughs> I know, I know. And so there's kind, of, there's a few stories like that in my family of women just kind of like grinning and bearing it, <laughs> and and it just seems like um, that was kind of passed on to me as a as like a um, just something that if you're a strong woman, you don't complain about something like pain, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, which then can lead to, I mean, ignoring pain early on as it Mm -hmm. intensifies can lead Mm -hmm. to really serious medical problems. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about was this Atlantic article that we both read called How Doctors Take Women's Pain Less Seriously, which is actually written by a man uh, about his wife's uh, very serious ovarian cysts that she had that they had to take her to the ER for and the we'll we'll link to it in the show notes but essentially her pain was ignored she wasn't treated I mean she was she was in so much pain that she couldn't be still enough to get her blood pressure taken that was how much pain and agony that she was in and they waited for hours and hours to be appropriately seen and screened and she was treated for was it gallbladder it's kidney stones? Kidney stones, kidney stones kidney or gallstones or something like that. Yeah. Like just given pain medication, um, which just knocked her out. But in the in the meantime, she had this really like crisis situation with her ovary that needed to be removed. And I think if memory serves me correctly, it wasn't until she was seen by a third attending physician 
female. Is he the second? A, a, a woman. female attending physician. Yeah. Right. The, the first the first one was a man, and he just kind of pushed her off, like, literally pushed her, the rollaway bed that she was on, like, to the side, and she, like, stayed in a, parked in a, in a room being given meds, and he just said kidney stones without even checking her. Right. And she is accompanied by her husband, who is mm-hmm. doing his best to advocate on her behalf. Clearly, she was not in a position to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really traumatizing. I mean, so in addition to all of that, then she has to have, I mean, they were talking about doing a whole hysterectomy, I think. Yeah. So now now there's a huge reproductive loss issue of her having to have her ovary removed. But it, I mean, honestly, it could have killed her yeah. if she had not been seen by that second doctor who could see. Because, I mean, if you have an ovarian cyst that ruptures, yeah. then you're talking about, you know, sepsis. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, un- and I mean, so the husband is writing about this experience. And you and I were talking before about what are the... What does it say about a man writing a story about his wife versus if she had written about it herself? And how do we then perceive that story when it's told by a man versus the woman herself describing what happened to her? Yeah, like would if she had written the article herself talking about the time she wasn't believed, like I could just see the comments. She's blown right. this out of proportion. Um, you should have done more to advocate for yourself. Even yes. Even you were in you searing sh- pain. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's good that her husband wrote it because I think in some respects that it might reach audiences and that it wouldn't necessarily had she written it um, and be maybe taken a little more seriously. Um, but I also think that his – his writing it puts an interesting perspective of like, I didn't understand the medical system, the sexism that women face in the medical system. And now I do because of this experience. And that is also a powerful story to tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I I think it would be great to have all these stories told by different perspectives and gosh, wouldn't it be great to have going back to our episode before an apology from that attending physician who overlooked (laughs) Oh, we yeah, would never get that. Hospitals are never allowed to apologize. They can't admit they did anything wrong. <laughs> That's right. But I think it goes back to and and you were talking about your labor before that sometimes we all experience pain differently and cope with pain differently. And sometimes there's this impossible balance that we're supposed to strike when we go for medical attention for pain about how demonstrably do we show how much pain we're in so that we're not yeah. seen as like hysterical to use an old um, misogynistic term but that we're also demonstrating enough that hey take me seriously I actually really am in pain and need to be seen and I just don't think that men have to do that I think that the content of what they say is enough to get the treatment that they need yeah and the idea that um, men don't go to the doctor unless there's something really wrong um and so if they're here and they're saying that there's something wrong, then there must be. Like, we just automatically right. we automatically accept that. Um, which the flip side is this, like, implied women run to the doctor for every little thing, um, mm-hmm. which is not – also not true. Like, it's just a weird – we've got some really weird sexist ideas um, when it comes to who accesses health care and, and why – and um, I think, you know, in addition to that, there's some some racism at play as well, because we've seen um, that black women especially have a have an even harder time um, being believed and being uh, listened to about pain, especially. And I think you've got an article that you want to share about that. Yes, I wanted to look for some experiences of women of color and specifically black women about their experiences in medical situations where they're trying to get um, seen and and treated for different ailments that they have. So there's a piece in The Root by Vanessa Fabian called My Body, My Pain, Listen to Me and All Black Women. And she goes into kind of a long, I mean, it's a very well done piece with lots of different statistics, but there was one in particular that really struck me about 
endometriosis, which is a really painful condition that a lot of women suffer from, that's quite serious. It can impact a woman's ability to conceive in addition to just the the pain that she's experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, So she wrote that for African-American women who have endometriosis, it takes on average six to 10 years to diagnose correctly from the onset of symptoms. That is crazy. I know. It's wild. So you think about like how many menstrual cycles that is that black women are experiencing pain, not getting the relief that they need, not getting the treatment that they need that could save their fertility. Yeah. Um, And even more disturbing, she wrote, black women who present with symptoms of endometriosis are often misdiagnosed with pelvic inflammatory disease, a condition that is sexually transmitted. So there's also that racism about black women and their sexuality and the assumption that what they're coming in with is a sexually transmitted infection, that that would be the thing that a doctor would go to before, I guess, you know, doing the test to determine if it was endometriosis and just assuming that it's this pelvic inflammatory disease, which is also a serious condition. But again, like not being not being diagnosed appropriately and having that disparity racially just shows that when a black woman goes to see a doctor, like she's dealing with the racism and sexism on top of it and and not getting what she needs for her health and well-being. Yeah. Um, there was a great episode of Grey's Anatomy this past season where um, Miranda Bailey, um, who is the chief of surgery, she um, is having a heart attack and she goes to a different hospital because she didn't want her colleagues to know that she was having a heart attack. But she woke up that morning knowing that she was having a heart attack. And she went to the hospital and she walked in and she said, I'm having a heart attack. And they basically left her sitting there all day telling her she was just stressed out or whatever. And they wouldn't run the tests. And um, it was a really great um, and she really highlights that like women who are experiencing heart attack symptoms um, are often it's different symptoms for women than it is for men. Oh, it's not that classic yes. like clutching your heart and and falling over it's more like um nausea and heart palpitations and things that a lot of doctors are just going to write off as anxiety and so yes um, it was oh my a gosh. really Grey's Anatomy by the way really uh this season was really good um Shonda a Rhimes. lot of people uh, yes a lot of people have written that show off I have wanted to give it up in seasons past but this one really this season really knocked it out of the park for me and um she really kind of highlighted that and she's multiple times throughout the episode she points out that, you know, I'm a black woman and you're not listening to me. And um, I know the statistics. I'm a surgeon. Like, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. But I shouldn't right. have to be a surgeon to be getting good care. Right, and, right. Um, you shouldn't have to be a medical provider to get appropriate care. Right. And it reminds me of um, Serena Williams' story uh, after her baby was born and she did the interview uh, in Vogue. And she says that um, – you know, she had a history of blood clots and pulmonary embolism, and she went into uh, childbirth really aware of that and really knowing her body intimately, in and out, her it, like knowing all of her healthcare issues. And she, uh, like, her fears came came true when after uh, the baby was born, she ended up having an emergency C section, and after the baby was born, she threw a clot and. Um, she had to like really go the extra mile advocating for herself and telling her doctor, I am having a clot. I cannot breathe. I have shortness of breath. And the nurse originally thought she was just confused from her pain meds. And she said, I need a CT with contrast. Like I need this right away. And they still did an ultrasound first. And then they were like, oh, you need a CT. And she's like, yes, (laughs) that's what I've been trying to tell you. Right. And that really stuck with me. You know, she later goes on in other interviews to say that she really appreciates the care that she received and she didn't feel like she wasn't giving good care. But um, she still had to, like, know her body in a way that I don't think a lot of people do know their know their bodies and their health complications and their risks and things like that. I don't think we all know all that about ourselves. And she had to really, like, know this stuff so that she could advocate um, and orchestrate the care that she received and that Mm -hmm. her I love that she's been really openly talking about about childbirth in general and her experience because I think that you know when we share more about that stuff um 
maybe it becomes more normalized to, I don't know, just talk about pain and talk about health and the disparities that people face. And I just think we need to be talking about it more. Yeah. And there's such a power dynamic when going to any kind of medical provider, even if it's for pain or not. I mean, I have a serious doctor nurse phobia of just that vulnerability of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, usually not fully dressed and Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, (laughs) like you're being examined and um, don't always know exactly what's going on. And we didn't really talk about practical things that we can do. But one thing that I've made a real conscious effort of, and it's not necessarily possible for everybody, but it is for me, thankfully, is I don't have a single provider who is a white male doctor. Um, almost all of my providers are people of color. Well, no, they're all people of color. And I have one male provider, but he's also, he's Jamaican. And I don't know, I'm sure that there are providers of color who like are not sensitive, but my experience with all of them has been very different from when I've seen white male providers. Um, I found them to be better at listening to me, not in such a hurry. So that might be something to consider is, Mm-hmm. Are are there different kinds of providers that you might try out? If the one that you don't like isn't listening to you, it might be time to look for another one. And again, I know that that's a privilege. And when you're going to the ER, yeah. you definitely don't have that. But in terms of preventive care, maybe there's someone who will be a better listener. Um, and that's when talking to friends and family can be really useful. Um, but just for me, that's been a real conscious effort I've made is like, you're a white man. I will not be... I will not be receiving your services. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked pretty well. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, I mean, that's definitely one one tactic. And I think you're right to name that not everybody is able to do that. And that was something – I think we talked about this on our episode about um, pregnancy and maternity leave. Like, yeah. um, my options for child care – I mean, for childbirth and for um, OB care were really limited um, based on where I live. And it's something that's really – you know, they're limited here. I live in a, in a more suburban um, area of Mississippi, but gosh, there are parts of Mississippi that don't have any health care at all. And it makes me really um, aware of that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just – it's tough. Um, yeah. One resource I was thinking of that we'll link to the show notes is from another favorite podcast that I've mentioned on this show before called She's All Fat, because one of the things that they talk about is how if you are a fat person going to the doctor, you're also not listened to because doctors Mm -hmm. will attribute any condition that you have to being fat. And so they have a lot of tips for how to deal with the medical community. And there might be some useful things just for people of all sizes to think about when going to the doctor. So we'll link to that in the show notes as a resource to check out. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Well, I guess we should switch over to what we're reading, what we're listening to. Yeah. Yeah. So I will start. I just finished um, a book that I really, I found really powerful. I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. Yeah, it's got a lot of buzz. I want to read that. Yeah. I really, I really loved it. It's a challenging book. I think it's especially um, important for white people who are... um, especially progressive white people who are in uh, churches or institutions that purport um, to prioritize diversity. Um, She has a lot of really insightful things to say about um, that dynamic and how uh, even well-intentioned efforts by white people to be inclusive um, and diverse like how there's how we need to really be examining that for um, still uphold like giving lip service to those things while still upholding um, racist power structures and Mm -hmm. um, and and dynamics and and how we can't just sort of like put people of color in the pictures and our brochures and now we pat ourselves on the back for being more inclusive and we still go about um you know valuing the work of people of color less and not paying them what they're worth and not elevating them to positions of power and um authority within our organizations and churches um she's got some really really good uh really difficult I think um weighty uh things to say about this stuff. Um, 
So yeah, I highly recommend. I thought it was really wonderful and really relevant. Um, so if you're interested in, you know, just learning more from the perspective of someone who is working with uh, churches and institutions to, to address um, racism and uh, how they can be more inclusive um, and how we can maybe work toward actual real reconciliation um then yeah pick this up it, i think it's for you uh it's i'm still here by austin channing brown thank you that has been on my list i've seen a lot of buzz on twitter about it specifically it's i think it's the new york times bestseller already so um definitely pick it up i slowed down my reading quite a bit while on vacation typically i read a lot but this time i was watching Riverdale, which I confess is a guilty pleasure. Nice. So, um, but I related to what we've been talking about today. I just finished listening to a special episode, two special episodes of The Daily, which is a podcast by The New York Times, which typically is doing, you know, what a major headline of the day. But they just did a two part series on pregnancy discrimination in the workplace, mm. which I will tell you will probably make you quite angry, which I know mm-hmm. I'm feeling outraged about a lot of things, and this is no exception. But on the first episode, they interview a woman who was working at Walmart, and she was working in the deli and having to lift kind of heavy things, heavy boxes, 35, 40 pounds, and she got pregnant and it was causing her to bleed. And so when she would go to the doctor about it, they would say, you really can't be lifting more than 20 pounds and and Walmart would not give her an accommodation. But she just, I talk about pushing through the pain. I mean, she just had to keep working. She already had three kids. And so she got to the end of her pregnancy and was asking about maternity leave and and calling for um, HR help with that. And then she was told, um, your services are no longer needed here. Mm. And she lost her job and was unemployed for a year. So that was the mm. first story, which will break your heart. Uh, just hearing how much she she's like, I love to work hard. You know, everyone mm. in my family works hard. I wanted to work. I don't know why this happened to me. And mm. now she's working again, but not getting compensated as well. So that was the first one. The other one was a white collar, a wealthy white woman who was working on like doing commodities trading or something like that and really like had her first baby and really did everything she could to make it seem as if she had not had a kid. I mean, she had childcare starting at 7 a.m., but was basically she just plateaued in her career and couldn't advance, even though she was working just as hard, if not harder. Mm -hmm. Um, So just you get the full spectrum of how pregnancy discrimination affects women. And I was just thinking, you know, it does not make sense. Like we were all born, you know, like sure. if we want to keep the population going, people are going to have to give birth to babies. Like if we want to keep the human race going, that's just what has to happen. Like I don't understand this lack of like this tunnel vision yeah. that prevents companies, employers from seeing that women can take a, a short break and then come right back and be better. I think I'm better at working now that I'm a mom. I can juggle so many more things now than I could before. My capacity is like through the roof because yeah. I just know how to handle it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? And I think like, the evidence actually supports that too. It does. It does. Yeah. And, and they also say like men who um, become fathers get a 6% bump in pay because yeah. they're then perceived as being in need of being more of the breadwinner. It's infuriating. So, yeah. <sighs> So if you want to get mad at something, if you're feeling a lack of things to get mad at, check it out. Um, if you're feeling really a lack of things to get mad at these <laughs> Just days. not the case. I know. Oh. I know. I'm going to make a point on our next what we're reading, what we're listening to, to highlight something more Fun. useful. But, yeah. okay, so I do have something I think is a little bit better for the kindreds of the moment, if I can jump into that. Yes, yes. And I think your kindreds of the moment is perfect for what we are just talking okay, about. Okay, so if you're feeling the rage these days – and you're feeling yep. like you don't know what to do. I want to share a tool that I've been using to help hold me accountable to keep up the work of resisting each and every single day, no matter what is going on, including when I was on vacation. And that is the resist bot. So anybody with a smartphone can text the word resist to 50409. And we'll link to this in the show notes. It will help you identify who all of your representatives are in Congress. It'll deliver any message that you want to send to them. In under two minutes, it will fax it to them or email them. 
And it, it can do all kinds of things. Remind you to take action daily. It'll give you ideas of what to write about. It can send your letter to your local paper if you want to publish it as a letter to the editor. Um, and you can share your letter in a public way with, I think it's anonymous, uh, so that other people can see what you wrote and give people ideas of what to write to their representatives. So it's just a really easy tool that's all volunteer run, um, especially if you're having trouble getting the office to answer your phone call. Because I know for some people when yeah. they call their off, their Senate office or um, congressional representative office, they get a busy signal or the mailbox is full. Yeah. This will get delivered every single time. Um, or if you're someone who doesn't like to call people, which I totally understand the trepidation, this is another way for you to get your message across. Um, so I would check it out. It's called ResistBot. And even if you don't have a smartphone, I think you can also do it online. We'll we'll link to everything to get you hooked up with ResistBot. But That's it's awesome. a great service. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing yeah. that because yeah, I, of had seen, uh, I had seen mentions of ResistBot in other places on the internet and didn't know if it was uh, legit, I guess. So I'm really glad to hear that it is and that you've used it. And um, I'm excited to sign up for it as well. Um, I think all the all the ways we can resist are important. So absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for today's episode. Next time we will be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about failure and resilience. We said we would do something a little more upbeat next time, but I think we can make it upbeat. Well, resilience. The resilience, <laughs> the resilience part. So the we're going to be talking part. about failure and resilience. And um, yeah, so join us next time. We'll talk to you then. All right. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 